It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Chris Kenobi. Chris, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. Thank you so much, Laban. It's it's an honor and a pleasure to be on your show. Happy to be here. Well, uh, it's lovely to have you on here, Chris Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Jedi of PUFA and macular degeneration. This is a very exciting interview for me, and you and I have had some wonderful engagement offline, and the energy is palpable in this in this room where I am many, many thousands of miles away from you. And I suppose my very first question for you is, what's the single greatest thing that's happened to you in the last seven days? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I, th- I think I shared this with you, and I'm not sure I can share it. <laughs> I'm going to be, uh, I'm, let me put it this way. Uh, one of the world's greatest leaders in natural health who I'm not sure I should name today. I'm not sure if he would want me to go public with this just yet, but he asked me to co-author a book with him this week. It, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And um, he is the uh, leading uh, natural health author and uh, runs, you know, the largest, one of the largest, if not the largest uh, natural health website in the world. I'm not going to say... I probably gave it away, but nevertheless, <laughs> we are going to be uh, we're going to be collaborating on uh, what I hope will be a phenomenal book together that uh, is all is going to be all about westernized diet and chronic disease, and I think and he believes this could change the world. So I could not be more excited. I need drugs to sleep now. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, but I, but I'm, I'm that excited about this, you know, new opportunity. So got too many things in, in the fire, but I'll tell you what, it's, it's great to be there than to not have enough to do. So happy as a lark. Well, it, I, I totally forgot about that before I asked you that question. And, and, I, and I'm grateful that you shared that with us because it's, a, it's uh, Chris is certainly playing this, this down. This is a, this is a watershed moment in Chris's life, as far as I'm concerned, and we'll keep the audience in suspense because patience is a virtue. And and when this when this production comes out, uh, this this will be revolutionary. And 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 I'm proud just to know you to be to witness this part of the genesis. So, um, the the reason why that this particular individual has reached out to Obi Wan Kenobi over here is because. 
of this extraordinary background that you come from. And just to give our audience a bit of a uh, background, you are a trained ophthalmologist who's been practicing for 20 plus years um, and have, have specialized in the area of macular degeneration. How did you get here? Yeah, so um, exactly, Laban. So I am, I'm a physician, I'm an ophthalmologist, and I was uh, an associate clinical professor of ophthalmology at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center uh, in Dallas, Texas, um, for about 16 years. And, um, I, you know, I don't really like to talk about my, you know, professional background, but because I think this, what's so phenomenally more important is that personally, Laban, I suffered with arthritis. This is where I got to where I am today is I began suffering with arthritis myself when I was about 33 or 34 years old. And I suffered and, and, and this was progressive. And um, I saw all of my colleague, you know, friend physicians, uh, I mean, a, a bunch of them, I, I must have seen a dozen physicians from orthopedic surgeons to internists, family doctors, rheumatologists. And I was even uh, given a prescription in 2011 for an immunosuppressant that I took for either one or two days. And I, and I, the, the very next day after getting that medicine, I, uh, I learned from my brother about the paleo diet. I didn't know anything about nutrition, like your typical allopathic orthodox physician. I knew next to nothing about new, what I did know was wrong. So I didn't know very much. And what I did know, like your typical physician, I don't think I'm gonna hurt anybody's feelings. I'm one of them. And I, I was just as ignorant as them because we're not taught anything about nutrition in medical school. And uh, anyway, but so I, um, but I, I, I learned from my brother a little bit about paleo and I found out that, it, that there was, it was anti-inflammatory and I, and I eliminated grains and dairy and I had this dramatic improvement in my arthritis in like eight days, it was 80% better, eight or 10 days. And this was so transformative in my life, Laban, that this changed the course of my life. And I began to investigate nutrition then. And then I read Lauren Cordain's book, The Paleo, Paleo Answer. And I began to investigate, I wanted to learn everything I could about nutrition. I just could not believe that that basically westernized processed foods are driving so much disease. And in 2013, I eventually came across the work of Weston A. Price, um, who is a researcher that connected um, our westernized processed foods to disease in, in populations that were transitioning from their native tra traditional diets over to our processed junk food and how they developed all sorts of disease. And so I, I understood that in 2013. And once I understood that these foods, Laban, essentially processed food, which is really sugars, refined flours, seed oils or vegetable oils and trans fats, that's processed food, those four things. And when I began to understand that those four foods are driving heart disease, hypertension, stroke, cancers, 
metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, overweight, obesity, Alzheimer's, dementia, autoimmune diseases like multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, type 1 diabetes, on and on and on. And the list goes on endlessly. I, I, began, I finally questioned whether or not those same man-made processed foods might be driving age-related macular degeneration, which is the leading cause of irreversible vision loss and blindness in people over the age of 60 worldwide, now affecting 196 million people this year in the world. And so by 2015, I had I'd done enough research. I'd researched that as much as I could while I was still in practice um, for about, so I, I worked on that as much as I could for about 15 months. And when I was convinced I was on the right track, I left practice and pursued this full time. And in 2016, had enough evidence to write a book, to write a scientific paper. And I began to go public with this. And then, um, so I, I began presenting this all around the United States uh, to all kinds of audiences, both medical and lay audiences. And then, uh, but, I, be, I, but I wanna tell you and the audience this, I began to understand that so-called vegetable oils, the seed oils are the biggest driver of all this disease that, that yes, the big picture is it's man-made processed foods and that's those four things, sugar, refined flours, seed oils or vegetable oils, if you wanna call them that, and trans fats. But, the, but if you take those, of those, I, my research, and this is where I've spent the better part of the last three or four years of my work is understanding vegetable oils and how they're driving this disease. And I think that they, they account for around 80% of all of this chronic disease. They are devastating to our health. And that's how I ended up where I am with you on this podcast today is because I went down that path as well, but, but I have a heart and soul uh, and I have passion to bring this, this information to the world of ophthalmology and optometry and vision science. And I wanna reach the world with that message because people are needlessly going blind by the millions in this world from macular degeneration. And that is a, it's tragic. And it is a travesty because, it's a travesty because it's preventable. It's entirely preventable. And that's why I'm doing what I do today uh, is I started this foundation called Cure AMD Foundation. And now I'm leading a group of a uh, retina specialist, ophthalmologist, a vision scientist, a nutrition researcher, and we're moving forward with more research and we want to, you know, work on this and, I'll, you know, I'll be working on this till the day I die. Well, isn't it extraordinary, Chris, the gift of arthritis that you received from the universe and look at where we are now. And I feel a sense of relief that I was able to snaffle you right before you crescendo into the into the stratosphere with how in demand this is going to be. And I feel privileged to to um, to have learned just what I've learned in the last couple of weeks, just following your work and, and the research for this interview. And we're we're so blessed and grateful to have someone 
like you just giving giving this information freely to the world because what I've come to realize is that this impacts every every facet of our lives and I think my own father his his vision has uh, drastically deteriorated over the years type 2 diabetic sedentary lifestyle lots of seed oils you know like a, a lot of the exact things you're talking about but just to clarify for people listening, what like what do you mean by seed oils? If they go to their pantry, what are they looking at that they can then go and throw in the bin? Right. Yeah, that's a that's a brilliant question. Um, because um, and I want to, let me go back if I could, Laban, and just give a little bit of history here. Because um, so we call these vegetable oils and. Um, but none of them come from vegetables. None of them. That's a euphemism. And I think it was coined, I, and I can't pinpoint it, but I think it was coined in the early uh, 20th century. But, but, but the world, for 99.99% of the world, had never um, touched or felt, seen, or tasted a so-called vegetable oil up until 1860, up through 1865, at the end of the Civil War in the United States. And the following year in 1866, good old Americans, you know, uh, manufacturers determined that they were able to uh, feed uh, cottonseed oil, which was extracted from, from cotton seeds, something that, you know, we would never eat. And they were able to, it was, it had been used as lamp oil and it was been used as machine oil. And then they put it into fertilizer and then they fed it to cattle and it didn't kill cattle. And so then they began to uh, adulterate our foods with it. And they were adulterating uh, butter and lard. And the reason I say adulterate, because the consumers didn't know it was there and that was their intent. I mean, they, and they, and so like, for example, in 1880, um, there was complaint in Europe, but I can't remember which nation, but I think it was, uh, it was either Italy or Spain, if I remember right, that made complaint back to the U S because we'd sent over hundreds of thousands of barrels of, of so-called olive oil, but they knew it wasn't olive oil just by tasting it. It was adulterated with cottonseed oil. And then what happened was so, but so, but cottonseed oil was consumed on average at around two grams a day per person in the U.S. between about 1866 and 1911. And then we got soybean oil, and then soybean oil became huge, and it took off, and uh, consumption increased dramatically because. Uh, Procter and Gamble took soybean oil and cottonseed oil, but they they began using that to create Crisco, and they and they were and Crisco was to to supplant and replace butter and lard because it was cheaper, and you know they they convinced uh, people that it was healthy, and so anyway, so if you look back in the year 1900. Um, Americans consumed on average about two grams of vegetable oils per day. And um, by uh, anyway, if you just fast forward all the way to 2010, we're at 80 grams of vegetable oil per day, per person per day. 80 grams is 720 calories worth of oil. Now, I want to tell you this. So in the year 1900, 
99% of our fats, our added fats in the United States came from animal fat, lard, butter, and beef tallow. By 2005, 86% of added fats came from vegetable oils. They almost completely supplanted and replaced lard, butter, and beef tallow, these very, very, very healthy fats. And if, if you want me to go back through the history, the, the, what you'll find is, is that all of these disease, so-called diseases of civilization, which I'm now trying to call westernized disease, um, I think it's a better term and I can explain why, but all this westernized disease, like everything from heart disease to strokes, cancers, macular degeneration, obesity, all of those were extraordinarily rare um, with the exception of cancer, which I would say was very uncommon in the 19th century, but all the rest were extraordinarily rare. And um, now, of course, they're extremely commonplace. And I can go through some of those statistics. But vegetable oils, if I just, you know, quickly get to the big, you know, picture, the 50,000 foot uh, overview is that the reason we have been told to consume vegetable oils in place of saturated fat is because of one thing and one thing only. And that's the fact that vegetable oils will make your cholesterol lower. That doesn't do you one bit of good. There's, if you look at all this evidence and, and you know, we don't probably want to go down this path that this has been that this theory that cholesterol causes heart disease has been debunked a thousand and one times if it was debunked once this, you know, I hate to even bring it up, but there's essentially, there's so much evidence that, you know, that it's not about cholesterol. It, you could say it's about oxidized cholesterol and there you will have an extraordinary relationship between oxidized LDL cholesterol and heart disease. And where does the oxidized LDL come from? It comes from vegetable oils. That's what, is in the LDL that oxidizes and makes them atherogenic. And, uh, but anyway, so this is what mainstream orthodox allopathic medicine has been telling us since the 1950s, 60s, 70s, is that uh, consume vegetable oils, the polyunsaturated oils, because it'll make your cholesterol lower and lower cholesterol means less heart disease. And the whole thing has been, like I said, has been debunked a thousand times it's not true. And you're never going to see these organizations like the Harvard School of Public Health and Tufts Nutrition Department and the Mayo Clinic Nutrition Department and the American Heart Association. I don't think I don't think they're ever going to come up to the podium and say, I'm sorry, for 50 years, we've been wrong. We told you the wrong thing. We gave you the wrong advice. Saturated fats are healthy. Monounsaturated fats are healthy. And yes, you need these polyunsaturated fats that are in huge amounts in vegetable oil, but you need a tiny amount of those, just a tiny amount. And wh where do you get those? You, you get plenty of those from plain old good animal fat, like from, you know, pasture raised beef, pork, chicken, fish, uh, and plants, because they're, you know, that's, they ultimately come from plants, these polyunsaturated oil, and then animals accumulate very small amounts. 
and then we eat the animals and that's where we get them. So they're so um, without getting all into the all kinds of you know nitty gritty detail, that's kind of the you know the big picture, maybe at the thirty thousand foot view. Well, the uh, and I'll, and I'll and I'll just go back to that question I had just so f- so for people because I know people get confused about the different types of oil. So like if they're going to go to their pantry right now and they're about to take a a, a knife to their pantry with the oils that are in there. What's the stuff that they can throw out and keep? Right. Okay. So this is the list. Um, these are the ones that are dreadful. Uh, soybean, corn, canola, cottonseed, rapeseed, grapeseed, sunflower, safflower, and rice bran. Those I would just throw out. Those are all poison. Um, Peanut oil and sesame oil are definitely going to be healthier, but I'm not recommending those. Okay, then you have the tropical oils, which are, they're healthy because they're much, much healthier because they're highly saturated. And that would be like coconut oil. And almost Americans, they don't trust Harvard, who's telling them that that coconut oil is not healthy. Americans, by and large, don't trust that. They know better. Coconut oil is very healthy. Um, Palm kernel oil is pretty healthy. Palm oil, not quite as much. Um, And then you've got, and then a good quality, authentic olive oil is okay. The problem is, is that 80% of olive oil in the United States and this probably goes for most of the world, is adulterated with these cheap, terrible, highly polyunsaturated vegetable oils, all the ones I named in the beginning. And this is happening. This is is proven science that the number is actually 79% in the science. And they've looked at hundreds of these different uh, brands of extra virgin olive oil. And people are paying 10 bucks for a big bottle of this, and they think they're getting a good olive oil. And it's just not, it's, there's around a, about an 80% chance that you're getting an adulterated oil. So if, you know, here's what I say to people, to, because this gets so complicated and, but my, you know, what I, under, what I now think after living this for almost a decade myself is that, you know, what I do is I don't use any oils, none. I use butter. We use butter for everything. When I need to put, if I was going to put oil on in a, in a, in a, in a dish or, you know, to cook in a wok or to put on top of salmon to cook, butter, butter, butter. I use grass, 100% grass fed, pastured, good quality butter. And I won't necessarily name brands, but anybody can go to the, you know, almost any grocery store, I think, and find good quality pastured, 100% grass-fed butter and um, use that. I would use that for everything because you cannot even trust olive oil and you can't trust avocado oil for the same exact reason as the olive oil. They're also adulterated. And so it gets messy. Now I'll say this, coconut oil, I would say if you need to deep fry something, coconut oil would be fine. Um, And that's what I would use in general um, if that, you know, fits with your taste. Um, but, uh, I want, but let me say this, the one thing about all of the oils, 
all of the oils that come from any plant is that none of them have vitamins A, D, and K2. And these are phenomenally important to our health. I can't stress that enough. We could talk for days about that subject alone. And guess where you can get all three of those? Grass-fed butter. So, if, so you know, you could take populations like uh, the Asians who would consume, you know, back... 70 years ago, they consumed very small amounts of animal, uh, you know, foods. They had really high carbohydrate consumption, which was either like in the Okinawans, it was, uh, it was sweet potatoes. And in mainland Japan, it was plain old white rice. And they had very small amounts of, uh, you know, fish and pork and chicken for the most part. But so, and very, you know, maybe really small amounts of butter, but very small. But anyway, the point is, is where were they getting their fats? They came from animals and that's why they were not are, but were so healthy. And now they've done exactly what Americans have done just to a lesser degree in the last 60 years, they've Westernized, well, actually 70 now because it began you know, began in Japan after uh, the westernization of their diet began after uh, Americans occupied Japan after World War II. And that we began immediately to begin, you know, we started westernizing their, their culture and their, 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 their food, their food systems. And so they'd gone down a path that's, kind, that's rather similar to us. And this is what you see all over the world. And this is what Weston Price showed in the 1930s that as people began to consume these foods, sugars, refined flours, seed oils, and trans fats, um, that they began to become ill. It began with dental decay, um, like cavities and crooked teeth and abscesses, and then arthritis, and then cancers, and loss of immunity to infectious disease. And then now, since, the, since Weston Price's you know, first book in 1939, I would literally tell you there are tens of thousands of studies and huge organizations that collectively agree that it is processed foods driving all this disease. That is not even, that right there, that statement, that's not even, uh, you know, uh, uh, up for debate. That The World Health Organization agrees with that. You know, so anyway, but that's, that's kind of the big picture, but you, you know, I would just say steer clear of all oils is the safest thing to do with, you know, with your, uh, that's the safest thing to do and use butter instead. And perhaps, you know, and maybe, and maybe, uh, eggs, uh, pasture raised eggs, and you'll start getting those fat soluble vitamins and, uh, you'll start getting healthier and it begins the day you start it. And oh, one other thing, Laban, this is probably the most critical point to understand of all. You, you, you hear people say, well, I don't, I don't use any vegetable oils. And yet those people that believe that are consuming 80 grams of oil a day. A lot of them. Why? Because they're consuming processed food. You don't have to put one teaspoon of any of those oils in any of your food to get that much. You can get it through, 
you know, all kinds of packaged goods, uh, you know, everything, potato chips, French fries, um, uh, canned goods, um, even sweets, they're everywhere. They're literally the vegetable oils, these polyunsaturated vegetable oils are literally in hundreds of thousands of food, foods made in the US. There are now 600,000 food items available in the US and uh, hundreds of thousands of those include vegetable oils. Why? Because they are dirt cheap. And so, and, and you can't taste them so, you know, fat is satisfying. So the, the manufacturers, they put these in the food because it, you know, it tastes better and it's more fulfilling and people like it. And so they buy more, it's just like sugar, you know, except that sugar is addicting. So that's what they do. They, here's what, if you buy Pop-Tarts, you know, what are they, or, or potato chips or a pizza, you know, a lot of what you're getting is maybe not necessarily a pizza so much, but a lot of what you're getting is, is three things sugar, seed oils, and refined white flour. And Lauren Cordain said many years ago, he said, call it, call it a cookie, call it a Pop-Tart, call it a pizza. They're all made out of those things. And he's right. That's, that's basically, look at every packet. You know, if it has a label, you're going to see those things in it. And if it's got an oil, it's going to be one of the bad ones, almost for sure. There's about a 98% chance that it'll be one of these dangerous seed oils every time i have a guest on this podcast chris that shares this kind of information i'm really conflicted about um cycling between the feeling of like oh my god like <laughs> and 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 this optimism that courses through my veins as well because for mums that have newborn babies that are unable to lactate or have to supplement with baby formula, I cannot believe, Chris, that, that every single packet that I've ever had a look at has these oils in them. Why? Yeah, it, and it goes, okay, it, there, it's twofold. That is a brilliant question. And this troubles me so badly that, and, and, and we did this with our daughter and, and I thank God we didn't kill her because <laughs> here's what we do. And I, I mean that with all my heart, yeah. I mean, I, you know, and we just about did. She got really sick as a toddler a couple of times because we had her eating these horrible processed foods. I don't even want to tell you in the audience. I, it's just so embarrassing because I didn't know. I know anything about any of this. What, what were anyway, they? What were they? There's no, there's no shame in this because you like you didn't know any better. So let's educate some people. Like, what were some of the things that they were eating that, that caused so, so much so much grief? Well, so the first thing was as soon as uh, my my wife then as soon as she stopped uh, breastfeeding, we gave her we put little Kyla. She's now 22, but she started consuming the formula. Well, what is the formula made of? It's made of guess what? Sugar, seed oils, and refined flours, and, 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 you know, and then synthetic vitamins. It is, as Sally Fallon from the Weston A. Price Foundation says, it, and I can just about quote her, this is the most processed food on the planet. This is the worst possible thing you could do to your infant or your baby or toddler is to give them those foods and they literally and i have paper scientific papers on this they take the butter out 
and put seed oils in their place. They literally extract the butter, the one thing that would be healthy and give that poor baby the nutrition they need. And no wonder, you know, the, the United States doesn't rank, I don't believe it's, we rank around 40th uh, in terms of infant mortality, like we're at the very bottom, just about of all the developed nations in the world in terms of infant mortality. Why? Uh, that This is one of the big things is that kind of food. We're not giving them any nutrition. And the, what we are giving them is, is uh, sugar and seed oils. And the seed oils are highly pro-oxidative, pro-inflammatory, and severely toxic. And I don't use that term loosely. I've called these poisons many times and I don't use, take that lightly uh, or, or use that term loosely at all. These, the vegetable oils um, have toxic aldehydes, what are called advanced lipid oxidation end products, A-L-E-S or ALES. And these advanced lipid oxidation end products are, are things like 4-hydroxynonanol, 4-HNE, malondialdehyde or MDA, uh, 9 and 13 HODE, H-O-D-E, carboxyethylpyrrole and acrolein, and collectively, and, and, and this is just five of literally hundreds of these advanced lipid oxidation end products. So when you heat these vegetable oils, and they're heated when they're made, when they make them, they're heated you get these toxic poisons, which in incredibly small amounts, they're extraordinarily poisonous to us. Um, you know, uh, you can compare these to the heavy metal toxins. Um, and, and uh, but, but anyway, so these collectively are these, these ales, these lipid oxidation end products, these are collectively cytotoxic, meaning they kill cells directly, genotoxic, mutagenic, carcinogenic, atherogenic, meaning atherosclerosis inducing, thrombogenic, meaning clot-inducing, clot in other words, cause heart attacks and strokes, and obesogenic, causing obesity. These chemicals, these chem just by themselves, are causing this. And, I, and this doesn't even get into all the pro-oxidative effect that comes directly from how these oils, the linoleic acid, which is the primary omega-6 in these oils, drives destruction in our mitochondria, which are the powerhouses of the cell and leads to mitochondrial dysfunction. And I'll just say this, Laban, just very simply, just 50,000 foot view. This is what's really interesting, ladies and gentlemen, is that, is that all of these uh, you know, westernized diseases, heart disease, atherosclerosis, dementia, Alzheimer's, obesity, macular degeneration, type 2 diabetes. You know what they share in common? Mitochondrial dysfunction. The powerhouses of our cells are severely architecturally, morphologically abnormal and biochemically abnormal, and they are dysfunctional, meaning they can't produce energy and I, if, if anybody wants to ever go look at my um, Ancestral Health Symposium 2019 that I gave at the University of California, San Diego, I, it takes about 10 minutes and I show the metabolic, the, the biochemistry, how you get to that. But, you know, so what this is, you know, if you think about it, why would macular degeneration, the disease of the retina and obesity and heart failure 
all have the same thing. Why? Because they're all driven by seed oils. That's what connects all these. So you can see it, you know, everything from insulin resistance to mitochondrial dysfunction, um, you know, to the pro-oxidative effect, to the oxidized LDL, you, you know, from, you know, from, from the history to the ultra structure at the molecular level and biochemical level, it all fits. The whole story fits, all goes together and all makes sense. And I can't find anything that doesn't, that doesn't support this, this concept, the, this, this line of thinking, the evidence, all, you know, this is like, if you're an investigator and you're trying to, you're trying to, you know, find the murderer, you know, this, that for this homicide, you're, you're looking for thousands of clues and evidence. That's what you do in this. This is what you do. And pretty soon, you know, you've got a thousand arrows all pointing at the same thing. And you, you go, you take that to court and you, you know, that's what, that's what I do. You take that to court, you put it in your book or you put, say it on a, you know, on a podcast or you put it in a presentation and, you know, you have a few minutes to, to, you know, tell what took you 10 years to figure out, but th this is it, you know? And, and, uh, so yeah, this is what I do. And you do it so beautifully, Chris. And, I, and, and if people aren't rushing to their pantries as they are listening to this through their, their Yui Boom speaker on the kitchen bench and slashing knives through all the, the seed oils, <laughs> then I don't know what they're doing. And, and one of the things that, that struck me about the Western A Price book that you so beautifully introduced me to just the other day. I have heard of Western A. Price, but I, I'd never started to read any of his stuff. And his book's called Nutritional and Physical Degeneration. And for people that are interested, Chris's book's called Ancestral Dietary Strategy to Prevent uh, and Treat Macular Degeneration, which I've started to read, which is a brilliant book as well, right? Like if you want to learn about this stuff as well, which affects what, what will be one in three people at some point, but Western A. Price, when he traveled to, you know, these indigenous tribes and what you so beautifully said the other day, Chris, like we can never replicate these studies because these tribes have all been westernized too much where they've gone past the point of no return. But he, he noted that the babies in the, in the villages and the tribes across this whole place were, were never upset apart from if right. they were hungry, they would cry. And if they were scared by a stranger. Right. And, and, and I, 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 you know, I don't have any children yet. I'm working on it. But I talk to a lot of mums and they look exhausted and they have this, this um, badge of honour of being totally fatigued and their kids are crying and screaming and they've got, oh, Christ knows what's going on with them. And, and I don't believe that's how children are supposed to be. I think that's supposed to be how Western Price observed them. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, that, that is, I, 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 I could, you know, second and third that, that is exactly correct. Um, that is exactly what Weston Price found that when, they, when, when infants are properly nourished, they are happy children. They're happy, content. Um, and yeah, he just, he, he, he wrote that he virtually never heard them cry. And you know, here we just think that um, 
a crying, wailing baby is, well, we go, well, they got colic or whatever. But uh, I'm telling you, if, if you had to live off of um, what we give them, you and I would be crying too. We would be absolutely miserable. And, but all they know is, is they're in misery. And, the, you know, and yet our, you know, orthodox allopathic medicine, you know, has ignored all of this evidence and they have uh, espoused the belief system that we need to remove saturated fats, which, re which means healthy animal fats from our, uh, from our foods and beginning with our babies. And so what goes in these, in these formulas? Seed oils and, and sugar. And then, you know, synthetic vitamins, which is just, this is the most disastrous thing you could ever do. So, yeah. And, and so it begins, it begins, you know, just shortly after birth is for, you know, for the ma majority of uh, uh, the uh, infants in most of the Western world. And, but, but in, you know, in native traditional populations, uh, you know, children were, they were properly nursed and the, you know, the mothers were consuming very healthy ancestral diets, which means these were diets of extraordinarily, uh, you know, different character, but what did they all have in common? And, you know, without getting into the detail, the one thing you can always say is they never had processed foods. They never had sugars seed oils and trans fats and refined flours. None of them do. And that if you look at each population and I just go through one after another, after another, and you find these populations and this is all in the published science. You could just look at each population. You go, well, they don't have heart disease. They don't have strokes. They didn't have obese. They don't have obesity and they don't have diabetes and they don't have metabolic syndrome. And they don't have macro degeneration. What do they all share in common? They don't consume processed foods. And there are still a few isolated populations on the planet that still are this way, uh, or at least were in, in, re in, a, in recent decades, and uh, just a few isolated populations, but probably close to 98, 99% of the world has westernized their diet because as Price found way back in the 30s, if roads could get to a population, if they, if, if they, if they had a port um, where they could receive shipping or if they had roads, our foods got there because there was a profit to be made because these foods are dirt cheap to make and, and the profit margins are very, very high. One of the statements that I've made on a couple of these interviews with different guests, Chris, has been that I firmly believe that all of the world's problems could be resolved with diet, which sounds like a utopian dreamland. And I'm just curious to know what your thoughts on that very grandiose statement is. I, I, I think you are just right on target. I think that's just practically a bullseye if it's not. One of the one, one of the things that that if we stick with uh Weston Price's research is I would say, you know, almost a fourth or a at least a fourth of his book 
towards the end primarily is, is dedicated to the fact that um, what he found was that these populations consuming their native traditional diets had extremely high uh, moral character and that uh, virtually none of these populations even needed a penal system. They required no penal system whatsoever. There was no crime committed. There was no theft. There was no homicides. There were no suicides. Um, there was there just wasn't there wasn't vandalism or anything like that, and um, and you know Price attributed that to the fact that um, you know the brain uh, requires all of these nutrients and the lack of the toxins in the processed foods um, in order to function properly, and this is what supports. Uh, in many ways, uh, healthy thinking, even believe it or not, even in intelligence, but perhaps even moral character. And so this is why I can say, yes, Laban, I agree with you uh, so very much. It's, you know, the United States leads the world in obesity. I think we, we if we're not at the top, we're very close to the top in uh, heart disease deaths in cancer deaths. And I believe, and maybe you know better, but I believe that we have more uh, uh, people in our uh, penal systems, in our penitentiaries and prisons uh, per capita than I think just about any nation in the world. Why is it? Is it just a, why should the, you know, I believe about the richest, you know, wealthiest most prominent nation in the world. Why should we have the most crime? But why, you know, does it not all go together? Quite frankly, I think it does. It's such an astute observation. And it, 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 for me, when people dis dismiss this and try to come up with other ideas regarding this, it, it really infuriates me. And I'll give you an N equals one example, Chris. I had the a, a family member who attempted to take their own life relatively recently. No former history of medical. They like were been in lockdown, COVID, blah blah blah, and it was a cry for help more than anything else. And I, so I was able to go and visit this person at the, I suppose it's a psychiatric hospital, in in the aged care area, and and I, there was about. 12 patients there and I got to know some of them as I was there and I observed the food that they were feeding them and my relative for a number of reasons totally lost his appetite and was basically doing some extended fasting throughout this period but the food that they fed them was exactly the opposite of what we should be feeding them and th this the, the behavior of some of the people in this in this institution was diabolical and they were heavily heavily sedated on two lots of 10 milligrams of diazepam a day now I don't know if you've ever taken a valium pill chris but a five milligram valium would put me on my ass right and they're giving them four times that amount and plus that you know on statins for their cholesterol and they're on all this other you know they're on antidepressant medication now, I had the privilege of having this this relative come and stay with me for 48 hours, and 
he decided that he wanted to come off all his medication bar one because of a prostate issue, right? Obviously a man. And we fed him the most nutrient-dense food on the planet. We had liver and steak and oysters and fresh sashimi and bone broth. And I watched his his mood, his demeanor, his energy, and his zest for life transform over 24 hours. And then at the end of 48 hours, he said, I don't want to leave because he went to go live with, with a rel- another relative. And, and that was 48 hours. Can you imagine what would happen if we swapped out everything in those institutions? What would happen in, in a month? Yeah, that is the most compelling as you said, N equals one study, but that is a case history. And now I have never said what I'm going to say right here in any presentation or any podcast because it's never come up. And it's certainly, I'm not going to say that this is my, uh, I don't have any really significant expertise here, but you know, in 10 years of studying this, I can tell you that the United States also, as Paul Saladino, you know, is trying working on this, um, that we also have, I believe, more depression and more anxiety than probably any nation, any country on the planet. And if you dig into uh, the the um, vitamins and minerals of these people, I'm telling you, you will find nutrient deficiencies. And if you correct the diet, I am quite convinced you can correct the huge majority of um, major depression. I'm not talking about situational depression, which is very different. So if somebody dies, um, there's a tragic event in your life, you know, if you went to jail or something like that, you obviously have a reason to be depressed, but I'm talking about what we normally think of, which is sitch, which is uh, major depression, depression, you don't know the cause and anxiety that you also don't necessarily have a cause for. And uh, interestingly, in some of these populations, and I think that the Catavans were one example, if I remember correctly, that they asked these people, you know, who are on a native traditional diet about depression. And they're just perplexed that somebody could be sad or down without a reason. They've never heard of it. They can't even, they they can't conceive of this. Like we think it's normal. Oh, well, they're just depressed, you know? So Prozac, right? It's just, I mean, if I walked into a psychiatrist's office today and I said, hey doc, you know, I'm just, I'm just down. I mean, he's going to be writing a prescription before I can probably finish my sentence. And yet, you know, could it just be that I have a nutrient deficiency? Oh, you bet it could. I guarantee that is exactly where a lot of this is. And it's driven by the metabolic health that goes along, you know, or, you know, abnormal health that goes along with all this. All this, all this fits together. It's just, you know, I, I view it like this. You've got this, you've got processed foods at the base and then in this mushroom cloud. I see all of these diseases, including, you know, even the things that we think of as mental, but all of these conditions and they're, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that, 
99.98% of all the, all of these conditions are driven by, uh, d by, you know, a Westernized diet, but 90 plus not 90 some percent, maybe 95 or 97 or 8% of them are. And you can, there are so many of these conditions and diseases there that are number one preventable. And a lot of the times you can either stop it in its tracks or you can, and, and, you know, and prevent progression. And this is what we're seeing with our macular degeneration people. I went public with this four years ago and we've got hundreds or thousands of people that stay in touch with me. And, um, just virtually all of them that went on an ancestral diet, they, um, all but maybe, you know, a couple, and those are suspect, but, but they're all, they've all stabilized. They're, they're stabilized their progression. And these are people that could be headed for severe vision loss and even blindness. So that, you know, if we can, if we can achieve that, um, that, you know, that that's, then we're golden. And this is why I say to people, you know, you can't, you know, when you've already had the, a massive heart attack, it could be too late. 25% of those people, their first symptom is going to be sudden death. It's too late to do anything, right? If you've had a massive stroke, it's, you know, it might be too late. I'm not saying that something, you know, you shouldn't take the same steps and try to rehab and all those things. If you've had a stroke, if you've had a major cancer, you know, these are the things that we want to number one, try to prevent same with macular degeneration we want to prevent these diseases you know it's back to that ounce of prevention and this is this is where we do it and it it's just it's deceptively simple to do it and people ask me well well what kind of foods can i eat any food you want just make it ancestral make it with ancestral ingredients and make your own food that's where you start build your own foods out, out of the ingredients that you know are healthy and, and with these simple principles in mind. And yes, I realize in this world, it is not easy and it takes a lot of work and a lot of diligence and vigilance to, to uh, exact out a truly ancestral diet in our world. The way I do it, eat almost all meals at home. And if you eat out, you've got to be extremely cautious and careful about what you, you, what you eat. I'll say one thing, Chris, it's worth it. Yes. It is worth it in a way that I cannot even begin to quantify. And this is what happens when you start, like uh, there's no, there's not many restaurants now that, that, Anna and I, my beautiful fiance, can go to not not necessarily because of the seed oil, but like the food that I make at home, because of, now it's my medicine, so I, it's an investment in me. Is the best food that I can get in my body, the most nutrient dense, dense food on the planet. So that way, it's virtually impossible for me to find a better meal out. And I'll and I've kept, cooked a few people's steak, and I'll cook you steak if you make it to Melbourne here. Okay, and and repeatedly more than a dozen people have said to me Laban that is the best steak I've ever had in my life and and I know there'll be some people screaming out saying Laban but what did what did your family member eat in the lead up to his you know mental health breakdown well because of lockdown he lost his ability to exercise every day in the form of swimming and very very often his only meal of the day might be packet soup 
And if you get one, go to the pantry now and have a look and spin it around. That is exactly what Chris is saying to get the fuck out of your diet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that that food, I mean, I don't know what's in that exactly, but I can guarantee you this, it's going to have almost no, uh, you know, really good nutrition at all. And it won't have any fat soluble vitamins unless they're there by way of uh, synthetic vitamins. I'm going to read it to you because, because it's, it's, I can almost remember most of it. It was Refined, it was wheat flour, MSG, uh, which is gluten from flour, soya bean oil, um, the, uh, I'll just find, let's say it's a uh, a roast chicken uh, soup. See if I can do this. Classic chicken. Okay. So one serving, 250 mils which is a court, I think, in your language. Oh, they haven't got it here. I'll, um, I'll post it down below. It, there, there was no nutrition. There was, it said natural chicken flavoring. What the fuck's that? Like, <laughs> like, like where's, the, where's the nutrition in that? And, like, where did that chicken come from? And, and, and so for me, when I, when, I, when I see this and I learn this and, I, and I'm observing, you know, doing a food diary with him, it, it's just, it's an absolute no-brainer and combined with this beautiful, beautiful, wonderful eye-opening information that you've got, Chris. Like, this is this is the gift of, of eternal life almost to, to people that take heed of this. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I, it's just, uh, you know, it's... To me, one of the things that is... That, I, that personally, I actually... Uh, the one thing I... I there's a few things, but one of the things that I, I find very frustrating is that is that in in if you're in my shoes, we have to dig and dig and dig into all this very very complex pathophysiology uh, at, down at the molecular level and all, all the biochemistry and you know you it's like you have to prove uh, to your colleagues you know, beyond the, the shadow of a doubt without every, with everything you've got, that this, that this relationship between the food and the disease exists. But, you know, I often think of this, Laban, like, I mean, this is so simple. It's like, like I probably said to you, it's like taking a, uh, taking a baseball bat to somebody's head. You know, you just don't do it. You know, it's going to end badly. Nobody's arguing about what's happening at the molecular level. You know, if somebody gets whacked in the head with a baseball bat, there's no argument. But that's exactly what processed food does to your body and to your to every every organ system there is. It's the baseball bat to it. It is so fantastically destructive to us and and uh and, and, you know, and I've said before, even in some presentations, that this very concept that these processed foods with those ingredients, the sugars, refined flour, seed oils, and trans fats, what you just listed on that package, that those drive this, this disease, this should be canonical theory in medicine. And what I mean by that is this should be the canon. This should be something that is 
understood and accepted by physicians and healthcare providers worldwide. Every last one of them should know it cold. That's great. As Joe Mercola says, this is grade school, simple stuff. Grade school, simple. Anybody can understand this. Don't eat those foods. You know, then you can start, once you get those out, then you can start working on fixing the nutrient deficiencies. Are you deficient in vitamin A and D and K2? Yeah, you probably very much are if you've been eating these foods. That's, you're probably in a, in a severe state. And then are you deficient in minerals? You know, are you deficient in iron, potassium, calcium? Yes, you probably are. You know, you could start working on the details, but those are details. So I always think I try to, when I, when I, you know, walk on to a podium or I talk like this, I think let's get to the, let's get the big picture out there first. Like I said, let's begin at the 50,000 foot view, you know, narrow down. And then eventually we can start getting down to nitty gritty details, but you can fix 90% of your issues, you know, in terms of your risk almost overnight with these simple concepts. It's that simple. This has been even better than I imagined it might, Chris. And <laughs> and I'm I'm gonna put a rush on this podcast because this has to hit the world a lot faster than, than the because I had a huge backlog. Not that the other guests aren't as important, but I think this message needs to transcend race, creed, politics, you know, like even as we were discussing this, I was wondering about, can you imagine what might happen if we got Donald Trump on a carnivore diet or, and you got Joe Biden on a carnivore diet simultaneously and then and then had a presidential election? You know, like what, what would be the outcome? Like just yeah. little things like this. And, and uh, yeah, yes, this is complex. It seems complex. But I promise you one thing. When you, when you change your lifestyle and you start eating in a species-centric way, eating ancestral foods that our bodies have evolved to absorb effectively, you will develop a, a zest for life, an energy, a vitality, and a high level of functioning that you've probably never, ever had. And it's, I've been very public easily eating this carnivore diet for the last two years and keto for six months prior to that, Chris, I have achieved more in those two and a half years than I have in the previous 37 and a half to 38 years easily. Yeah. And I'm only getting better, faster, and stronger. So bring it on, world. I, You know what? I'm a, today, you know, um, I'm 59 years old. And you look great, but <laughs> I, I feel better today than I did when I was in my 20s. And I, I and I mean, that to me is it, it is this is a phenomenal thing. And I'm telling you what, there's not a day goes by that I, I am that I am not uh, that I. Uh, I'm not amazed by what diet can do for you and do to hurt you both ways that I see it day in and day out in my research, in my own life. I uh, like you, I'm, I'm about as strong or stronger than I've ever been. I do sprints for, for workouts. I run stairs and guess what? I was having problems doing a lot of those things when I was in my thirties because of my arthritis. And now that's virtually gone. 
how is that possible, ladies and gentlemen, if it's, if we're just meant to get, get, you know, get old and get these diseases? No, we're not meant to. That's not what our Lord had in plan for us. No, we're supposed to grow old and be healthy, just like the people that that Weston Price found all over the world. They were in brilliant health in their 70s and 80s and 90s. And and, uh, that's what is in store for us if we take care of this body. And to me, you know, I I realize a lot of people don't think this way, but to me, my body's a temple and I want to take care of it like, like, like it deserves to be taken care of because it's, you know, it's what's going to carry you through. And, and it's and like Ivor Cummins says, you know, do you want to have lifespan or health span? What's more important? It's health span. I mean, if you live to be 85, but those are 85 glorious, you know, brilliant years and you're, you know, with your grandkids or whatever, Fantastic, but you don't let want those last 15 years to be in a nursing home, right? That's what this is all about. It's not just changing your lifespan, it's changing your health span. This is how you do it. And we, you know, you can do it tonight. You can, you know, or well, it's night here, but you know, do, <laughs> do it for lunch. And by the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be there for dinner before you can even get this podcast out. <laughs> I want that steak. I'll keep that seat warm, and, I, and I'll and I'll use my homemade bone broth made from rendered beef and bones, and I will reduce it down into a beautiful viscousy gravy that will be drizzled over with beautiful molded sea salt from the UK. And you will never put a better thing in that gob. I promise you that. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I bet I could eat. I bet I could eat forty-two ounces of that. Well, put that into practice, Chris, when we get an opportunity to see each other, which I'm very excited for. I think this is a really great place to to finish up our chat today. Would you like to finish on anything before we leave our audience in suspense? Yeah, yeah. There's there's one quote, and I, I have the book here, and it's from, uh, as everyone can tell, I am a Weston A. Price acolyte to my very core. Um And this is his book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. Doesn't have his uh, uh, picture there, but but anyway, um, I I, uh, because of his work and everything that I've studied in the last decade, I'm I'm a very strong believer in as much as possible using food to get our nutrition, not not anything else, not manufactured, processed or even supplements. Uh, I'm not entirely against supplements, but at, at least in, but in terms of vitamins, I try to get all of those from my food. But, um, and I don't even have the entire quote here, but, but uh, Weston Price said, uh, quote, great harm is done in my judgment by the sale and use of substitutes for real food or for, or for whole food, I think, end quote. So I had to paraphrase there slightly, but great harm is done in my judgment by the sale and use of substitutes for food. I think that even though the statement was made in 1939, um, I think that for the most part, it applies to us today and that 
Um, I still, uh, for the most part, live by that mantra. I, like I said, I think we're, we need to get our nutrition as much as possible from those core foods, meats, fowl, fish, fruits, vegetables, grains, nuts, seeds, dairy, um, those, those kind of things, and as much as possible in their raw, natural, organics, organic state. And that alone is a prescription generally for fabulous health. So that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Chris Kenobi. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.